This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. So we're in Romans, um, and I hope you're enjoying it, loving it. I'm going to get you up to speed. Uh, my title this morning is Two Weddings and a Funeral, which hopefully is, the film was 90 minutes, Four Weddings and a Funeral, 1984 was uh, 90 minutes, so you know we might be half the time with Two Weddings and a Funeral, but it's Two Weddings and a Funeral, but let's get up to speed. So Romans 1, Paul says that the gospel is the good news that Jesus is the righteous one revealed from heaven, that he is the Lord, not uh, Nero, not anyone else. But he says in the second part of the chapter that Roman culture, uh, secular culture, suppressed the truth about God, rotten to the core, riddled with a cancer of sin, and all sorts of uh, excessive desires are running out of uh, range. And just while the Jews in the audience are all cr- clapping and saying, yes, absolutely, it's about time we had a go at some of these sinners, he says, you Jews are a bunch of hypocrites as well, because you condemn sin, but you do the same thing. And Paul ends his bad news by declaring there's no one right with God, no, not one. Uh, but his Paul's been itching to get to his good news, and he starts his good news with, but now, but now the righteousness of God is revealed that is a free gift through faith in Jesus. He basically says that actually even though none of us, whether we're trying to be holy or whether we're trying to be hedonist, none of us can make our way to God, but Jesus has come to make a way to God. He's revealed that righteousness uh, in Christ that we can't have through faith. And he says that faith is not through rules and rituals, it's always God's way. Uh, of making people right with him. And he says, look, here's an example from, from your forefathers, Jews are in the crowd. Here's the uh, example that Abraham uh, was the father of your nation and he believed God when he faced the uh, fact that he couldn't have any children, he believed God. And that's how you, in your impossible situation, more than fact you can't have children, that actually you can't have any access to God. And then Romans chapter 5, two weeks ago, he says, now he talked about we're united with Christ. United with Christ, that we're no longer in man united, Adam united, no longer united with Adam in his sin, the representative was all, but we're now united with Jesus in his righteousness. We've been transferred from one team to another, from one man to another. And he says that baptism, this is what we did last week, baptism is the outward sign that we're united with Jesus. That we have died with him and being raised with him. So what we did last week is we baptized these. We put them under the water and bring them out of the water. And they don't become Christians by going under the water or coming out of the water. But it's a sign that actually they're united with Jesus. They're on the same team. And when Jesus died, they died. And when they come out of the water, they rise to a new life with him. In other words, we're, king, we're citizens now of a better kingdom. And then Romans 6 Uh, which, again, I spoke about last week, says, our over-desires or our sinful desires or our lusts of the flesh, says the authorised version, have made us slaves to sin. 
Uh, and basically, we're, we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. There's no middle ground, Paul says. You're not like they're making a decision. You're either slave to your desires, your sin, or you're slave to God. And he says, you know, you need to be with Christ. And the, he, he finishes the passage that I'm going to read in a minute by saying the only wages that sin pays is death. So although it feels like you're having a great time, the bottom line is you're slowly dying inside. The cancer of sin is slowly eating you up. But actually, united with Jesus, we're dead to sin and free to live as slaves of God. So citizens of a better kingdom, slaves of a better master. And now we're going to look at Paul's third illustration. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you are slaves to sin, you are free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're ashamed of? It's a rhetorical question. He tells you, those things result in death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Don't you know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so we bore fruit for death. But now, I love that but nows, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that you may serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. I'm going to talk about some people that are, that have been around in church for a while, actually. Actually, you might even recognize him. He seemed an ideal husband. And in his way, he was. He was a good man. He never did a single thing wrong. He's full of integrity and always kept his word. He was clearly devout and religious. He knew his Bible and would study it diligently. He was always in church and never missed a Sunday. At the wedding, it seemed the most natural thing to promise to submit, to honour, to obey, to be faithful to him until death do us part. But as the marriage developed, I mean, that's by, that, that sounds like me, doesn't it, actually? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but as the marriage developed, his other characteristics began to surface. He liked things done right. Nothing wrong with that. He just couldn't tolerate his wife's failings. She tried hard to please him but he never thanked her. He just pointed out where she hadn't matched up to those things she should. Each evening, as he came home, he would ask, how was your day? The question was kind of loaded. He was really saying, did you do what I tell you? Did you neglect any details? Did you waste any time? So many expectations, so many demands. He was always pointing out her errors and pointing out her shortfalls. 
As hard as she tried to please him, she couldn't. She just felt more and more inadequate, more and more disappointed with herself. The truth was, he demanded a faultless wife. And no matter what performance she could put in, she knew she could never be perfect. As much as she pleaded with him, he never lifted a finger to help. I'm trying to look, not look at Naomi here. As much as she pleaded with him, he never lifted a finger to help. But it was pointless arguing with him because not one of his requirements was wrong. In fact, his wife wished she could be the woman he consistently described. So each day she'd vow to do better tomorrow, but each evening she had failed. Miserable, lonely, and unloved. She find herself hiding her weakness, putting on a mask, but quietly indulging in those failings while he didn't find out. This couple tried to have children, but all she had to show for it was miscarriages and stillbirth. Together the couple could not produce life, and she was slowly dying inside. She secretly hoped her husband would die. That could be one of us. It could be one of us in church, but actually it's the illustration that Paul's using. He's photoshopping us into a wedding photo, and actually the, the person in the, the photo is, uh, I'm gonna, is Mr. Law. So there is Mr. Law. He's the perfect perfect husband in every way. Everything he says is right. Everything he does is right. But the problem is, little Miss Human couldn't meet his requirements. She wanted to, she was desperate to meet his requirements, but she just couldn't do it. In fact, to her, he was just Mr. Bossy. She felt, Mr. Bossy, will you just give me a break? Stop telling me I'm doing wrong. Stop telling me I'm messing up. Stop telling me I'm no good. I know. But the thing is, Mr. Law couldn't do anything else. In fact, she he was so loved pointing out her faults that she became absolutely distraught. I hate this man. He is the worst, but yet, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to this person that's telling me I'm... She said, well, I wish he was dead. Maybe I should go off and have, find another husband. But if I do, I'm an adulteress. I can't do that. If I kill him, that wouldn't work. What's going to happen? Maybe I'll start faking it. Maybe I'll start pretending that I'm good when I'm not. So how do we respond to living with this Mr. Law? Paul highlights in Romans three ways, and let's just go through them with a little Mr. Man and Mr. Women. Okay, so the first way is Mrs. Pleasure Seeker. Sorry, it's a bloke with a beard. I couldn't find Mrs. Man, but it's really Mrs. You understand that they're married to Mr. Law. So this is the wife of Mr. Law. It's not a same-sex marriage here. We're not talking about that. That's already been covered in this series. Okay, so this is Mrs. Pleasure Seeker, or Mr. Pleasure Seeker. Obviously, he likes his beer. He's grown a beard. He likes his chicken. He likes likes to have a good time. His favorite phrase is, if it feels good, do it. His bumper sticker is, life is short, play hard. His goal is, satisfy your desires by self-indulgent. About rules, he says, What I do is my business. Or maybe it's bad, but so what? His lifestyle, exhausted, looking for pleasure. His down moments, empty and bored. Is that you? 
Maybe your response to God's righteous requirements is, ah, sack it off. I know I'm rubbish. I know I can't make it. I'm just going to go out on the town and get drunk. Or I'm just going to find a girl and sleep with her. Or I'm just going to go on the internet and look at stuff. Or I'm just going to gamble my money. Or I'm just going to be this or lazy or whatever it is that makes a person just, I want an easy pleasure life. We could have called it in Cheltenham Mr. Comfort. Because most of us probably, some of us might be, going out swigging beer, getting drinking, whatever. But some of us, it might be just Mr. Comfort. I'll just do what I want. I'm not interested in that. Paul's already, saw, he's already highlighted these people in Romans chapter 1. He says they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts or excessive desires. That's what we've talked about. These are the, these are the first people. So that's your first response to living with Mr. Law. Maybe that's you. Actually, Paul has got these people in mind when he finishes uh, chapter 6. Let's just read what we read earlier. It says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, this is Mr. Pleasure Seeker, you used to offer yourself to slaves in purity and ever-increasing lawlessness, not having anything to do with Mr. Law. So now, offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from control of righteousness. You did what you want. But what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you were ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. When I was Mr. Pleasure Seeker, and I was, I was accused of oversharing last week, so I'm not going to do that. But when I was Mr. Pleasure Seeker, I felt I was having a great time. But actually in those dead and bored and empty moments, I really realized I was just, my life was being hollowed out. I was slowly dying on the inside. Death was taking me. I know it takes all of us, but sin brings death closer to the surface. It says, but now, Paul says, but now you've been set free from sin and become slaves to God. The benefit you reap is holiness and life eternal. For the wages of hedonism, the wages of sin and pleasure-seeking is death. The wages of avoiding God that way, actually there's other ways to avoid God, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So maybe that's you. Maybe that's your response to at the law. Okay, the second response to the law is uh, Mr. Rule Keeper. Uh, I thought this guy had an appropriate looking moustache uh, that made him look bossy. Uh, and so uh, Mr. Rule Keeper or Mrs. Rule Keeper, she says, okay, Mr. Law's become his requirements. I'm going to try my best to be as good as I can be. She's a bit of a legalist. She wants to keep the rules. Her, her favorite phrase is get to work. When God says jump, I say how high. Her goal is to save herself by being perfect. She's deluded. She's thinking, I'll save myself by being perfect. He wants perfection, I'm going to try. About the rules, you know what he says makes sense. Those Ten Commandments, they're good, they're sensible. It makes sense. Lifestyle, exhausted, trying to keep up their performance. I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be good, but it's exhausting me. Attitude, stuck up or self-righteous, or I've just give up. Paul's target these, he's described these, um, and he was a bit of one like that himself. When he was a young guy growing up in Jewish culture as, as, under the training of a Jewish rabbi, he was this guy. It says in Romans 2, uh, 17, we've talked about this, it says, you are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what he... And you know what is right because you've been taught his law. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? And then later on in the chapter it says, no one can be made right with God. No one can please God by doing what the law commands. 
The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It's a dead-end track to say, I'm going to try and please Mr. Law by working hard to do my best, to keep the rules, to never sin. Because actually, you can't do it. The closer you get to Mr. Law, the guiltier you feel. The closer you get to Mr. Law, the more wretched you feel. The more you look at the requirements of what Mr. Law requires, with the perfect description of what a, a person who's living for God should be like, the more you feel useless. In fact, when Mr. Law comes and says, points the finger at uh, Mrs. Rulekeeper, she says, well, I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as that person. The point is, if you start off as a Mrs. Rulekeeper, you'll end up as this third person. Mr. Finger Pointer. It's Mr. Nosy, actually, but I couldn't find a finger pointer. Mr. Nosy, always sticking his uh, nose in people's business. He's... Basically, this was Paul as the angry young man without Jesus. He's the finger pointer. He's saying to people, you do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. You Christians, you're out of line. I'm going to persecute you. He's pointing the finger. He says, do this and do this and do this. He talks about uh, the, the favorite phrase of Mr. Finger Pointer or Mr. Judge, Mrs. Judgmental is, I may be bad, but I'm better than you. God is watching and so am I. Save myself by being better than you. That's a bit easier than save myself by being perfect. What about him? What about the rules? Well, what about him? What I do is my business. They're exhausted by making comparisons. Comparison, as one president of the United States says, is the enemy of joy. They end up bitter and joyless. Paul targets these in Romans 2. He says, May, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the same things. Because of you, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Marriage to Mr. Law only produces unattractive, hard-hearted, judgmental, miserable and despondent legalists. It's no wonder that people don't want to come to church. If if we're saying we're going to just tell them about God's law, they're either going to say, sack it, I'm going to go out and get drunk or I'm going to fake it and try and be the best-looking person I can, but knowing inside I can't make it, or they're just going to tell everybody else they're rubbish. And people think, I don't want to be with those people. Max Lucado, we meet to race. Max Lucado, a great pastor in the States, he says this. He says, what a trio, the three of them. The hedonist on a bar stool, the rule keeper on the church pew, the finger pointer on the judge's seat, the first massaging his passions, the second measuring his merits, and the third monitoring his peers, the self-satisfied, the self-righteous, and the self-appointed. We need a new husband here. This is the problem. We cannot find a way to satisfy Mr. Law. We need a new husband. And this is Paul's illustration here. We need a new husband. We need a new husband who can bring life. And so we all know the answer who this husband is. We need a new husband who can bring life. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 7. He says, now let me explain this. He says, a married woman is joined to her husband as long as he's living. But suppose her husband dies, then the marriage law no longer applies to her. But suppose that married woman gets married again while her husband is still alive, then she commits adultery. But suppose her husband has died, she's free from the law. So she's not guilty of adultery, even if she marries another man. The only way she can get out of this marriage is for Mr. Law to die. She can't kill him because that would be sin. She needs this Mr. Law to die. She said, 
For goodness sake, stop telling me I'm wrong. I want you dead. I wish you were dead. But Paul's saying the only way out of it is for one of them to die. Jesus is actually uh, very encouraging. He says, Mr. Law's never going to die. Mr. Perfect, Mr. Law, he's never going to die. You want him dead. You want him out of your life, but he's never going to die. Jesus says in Matthew 5, I tell you truly that heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth is going to die. Before one stroke of the law. She's probably thinking, I wish he had a stroke. But before one stroke of the law. He's never going to die. Mr. Law is never going to die. But then suddenly Paul offers an, another way out of this horrible marriage. He offers another way out. Maybe you could die. And he said, well, that, what good is that? I'm dead. I said, no, no, no. Don't you understand? Don't you been tracking with me? But what happens for Jesus is true for me and true for you. You could exit this marriage if you died. But actually, let's look at Jesus. He said, you have also died, say it to, with me, to, you've died to the law. Marriage over. No longer married to that so-and-so. You died through the body of Christ. When Jesus died, you died to the law. Sue, you may belong to another. Paul's asking you. He doesn't tell you who it is because he knows you're thinking, who is this one? He's saying, well, it's to him who's been raised from the dead. Wow. You'd be married to the one who's been raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, in order that you might bear fruit for God. It's actually true. We have died with Christ, so we're dead to the law. You may have no memory of being crucified uh, 2,000 years ago. I've certainly no memory of being crucified 2,000 years ago with Jesus. I didn't feel the nails, the crown of thorns, the dislocated joints, the slow suffocation of crucifixion. But actually the fact is, I have died with Jesus. I have died to the law with Jesus. There has been a funeral Sorry, it's not very clear, but that's a, a coffin in the grave. Paul's but now is it. When you find a but now, Paul's going to say something exciting. But now, we're released from the law. Great. Having died to that which held us captive, so we can live in the new way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of the code, of the written code, the law. That's amazing. We've died. Don't you feel good? Don't you feel good? You should feel good at this point that actually all those rules and regulations in the Bible, you've died to them. All those ones that say you don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other, they're describing what the perfect life should be, but you've died to those requirements. It sounds blasphemy, and in fact, it caused a whole lot of bother in Rome because they were saying, what? The Jews were saying, what? No, this is heresy. You're saying we can just do what we want. We can throw everything out and just become hedonists. No, no, Paul's saying, no, no, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying not that you throw, you died to Mr. Law so you can become a hedonist. Shall we sing so grace may increase? No, what, you haven't got it. You've not understood. You've died to that law-keeping, finger-pointing, horrible person who's telling you you're no good, you're no good. You've died to that to marry someone else called Jesus Christ. What's Jesus Christ like? He's Mr. Good. There he is, Mr. Grace, Mr. Happy. I prayed it this morning because I think it's such a great image. Like a wedding vow, Jesus says to us, all that I am, I give to you. And we say to him, all that I am, I give to you. In fact, Paul Oakley goes to, I think he used to go to the church that Johnny was in, wrote a song. 
and it, a line of it said, like a wedding veil, all I am I give to you. So true. I mean, guys, we might struggle with this, but the girls often have to be the sons of God. We're being the bride today. However big your beard is, Josh, you're a bride this morning, sir. Just clothe yourself in bridal stuff. Okay, so being the bride is a totally different experience than living with Mr. Law. This is how it works for me. I mess up. I've lived with Mr. Law, and I expect one response, but, I, but with Jesus, there's another response going on. He says, there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. There's nothing you can do that will make me love, love you more. And I'm thinking, do you, Jesus, do you really know what I'm like? And he says, I know what you're like. He says in Ephesians, I, he lavished his grace on you with all understanding. He knows what you're like. He's not soft on sin. It's not that he doesn't care. But he's come with a different approach. He's come with an approach of love and forgiveness and grace. And you know where the law kept saying, come on, get on with it, come on, get on with it. He comes alongside us. says in Hebrews, we haven't got a high priest, uh, a husband who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's like us in every way, but doesn't know sin. He doesn't know sin, but yet he comes alongside us. Titus says this. He says he's, he teaches us to say no to sin. The finger, what finger pointing Mr. Law could never do, Jesus has done with his love and grace. He comes alongside us, servant-hearted, carries our character. And you know what happens? Where you could never bear fruit. At the picture Paul's using is like, you can never bear fruit. In other words, Mr. Law is impotent to bring life. No kids. No life. Jesus is not impotent. You're reading uh, John 15. It says, we're, we're, if you stay at home with me, if you make your dwelling with me, if you're talking about vine and a branch, but same picture, if you're united with me, then you'll bear lots of fruit. You're going to bear the character of godly character by just being with him. You're going to become what the law requires just by being with him. You're going to look at Jesus and delight in Jesus and you're going to become that sort of person that's like Jesus. You're going to have, as it were, gospel children and gospel character by being intimate with him. You know, if it was as easy as saying to somebody, don't lie, don't lie, don't steal, and he could then go and do it, that would be easy. Church would be easy, wouldn't it? I'd just say to you, don't do that, and you'd all go, okay, and you'd all go live differently, wouldn't you? But it doesn't work that way. Paul says in Galatians 3.21, if a Lord could been given, had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come through the law. But it doesn't work. Do this, do this, do this, do this. does not work. We need to find another way. We need to find a marriage to him that's beautiful and refreshing. There's a little funny thing in this story, though. And Paul Fillmore, in his book, uh, Romans, Straight to the Heart, uh, says it really well. Uh, I had thought of it before, but he says it better than me, which is why he's in print and I'm not. Uh, he, said that he, he writes this, talking about this marriage relationship. She was finally married, the kind and gentle suitor, this is Jesus, who'd been waiting the proper time to make his move. Her very excited friends arranged great celebrations on her second wedding day. She's died to Mr. Law, she's marrying Jesus on her second wedding day. But it didn't take long for them to notice that something was very, very wrong. She kept a photo of her old husband 
on the side of her bed. And she'd gaze longingly at his stern-looking face while her tender husband lay beside her. It's a little bit too intimate, isn't it? (laughs) That's why I'm quoting him. He says, she would bury her face in her old husband's clothes in the wardrobe to catch a scent and reminisce about the despair she used to feel when she heard his accusing voice. She sometimes cry as she misses abusive company. What is that? You would say, what? You're dead to him. Why? What's that? But you know what? You go to churches and they have pictures, don't they? Carved of the Ten Commandments. It's almost like there's a, here he is, a picture of the old husband. That's why you're worshipping Jesus. I'm here. I'm here watching you all. You know, and you think, let's be intimate with Jesus, but you're thinking, oh no, I don't. You've become institutionalized by this law, this person that says, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you're never going to make it, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you fail, you fail, you fail, and you become institutionalized by him. And I can't rush ahead to chapter 8, but in chapter 8 he's going to say, look, there's none of that with Jesus. You've got a new husband, stop going back to your old one. The way to please your new husband, Mr. Grace, is not to go and have intimacy with your bossy old one. So when the song says, when Satan tempts you to despair, that's his job. Mr. Law wrote them, but Satan likes to pick them up and say, when Satan tempts you to despair and tell you of the, do you know the song? Guilt within. I look at Mr. Law and say, you're absolutely right. No, upward I look and see who? Jesus there. Who made an end to all my sin. It's a great picture, isn't it? We don't get it right by saying, Jesus, you know, I'm terrible, I'm useless. It's good to confess your sin. It's good to say I messed up, I sinned, I repent. But actually what happens is, Mr. Lord just says, well, I told you so. When you confess to Jesus, he comes and wraps his arms around you and says... Let's change. Let my love change you. Let my grace change you. Let's be transformed together. He removes us from being hedonists and draws us in saying, no, he removes us from faking and rule keeping and judgmentalism. He melts our hearts and says, come on. Let's finish with this. Galatians 5, Paul's writing again. The fruit of the Spirit, a.k.a. the characteristic of being married to Jesus. What's what he's like? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, I don't know where I got that from, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I'm probably going to play with this passage and cheat with it a bit. But I don't think love comes from being with Mr. Law. Mr. Law's been married to a speed camera. I've had one or two interactions with speed cameras. I don't love them. I wish they were dead. All they do is tell me I'm breaking the rules and I'm incapable of driving slowly because <laughs> I'm not patient <laughs> and I'm not gentle and I'm not self-controlled. Being with Mr. Lord does not produce joy. It produces bitterness. Being with Mr. Lord does not produce peace. It produces misery. Being with Mr. Lord does not produce kindness. It produces judgmental hypocrisy. Being with Mr. Lord does not con- produce self-control. It produces faking. Paul says, against such things there is no law. I'm interpreting that and saying, that don't come from being with Mr. Law. That comes 
from being with Jesus. That comes from being with Him. As we break bread this morning, cue bread breaking, we're going to remember that wedding vow. We're going to remember that Jesus' body was broken. That he died on the cross. And as he's doing that, he's saying, Father, forgive. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. His body's broken and he's saying, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. Do this as often as you drink it, because you so easily forget and go back to the old one. Do this as often as you drink it, and remember me. Let's get close. Let's get intimate. Now, there should be an owl down the middle, but we haven't got one. But I want you to imagine... <laughs> you can come back, Abby, actually. I want you to imagine that, that it's a wedding this morning. And here's Jesus... Here's Jesus' body. Here's Jesus' pure life, his shed blood. Here's Jesus saying, all that I am, I give to you. And what I want you to do is I want you, guys and girls, I want you to come down the aisle. So I don't know how we'll do it. I'll let Tom sort that one out. We're going to come down, Paul, come down the aisle. And I want you, when you take the bread, to think, I am dead to Mr. Law. I'm dead to condemnation. I'm dead to that. And you're going to say, all that I am, I give to you. And when Jesus, you take his body, you take his very self, and he says, all that I am, I give to you. Let's finish with this verse. It's a great verse. Paul's talking about the law in Corinthians here. And he's talking about what the law doesn't do any good. And then he says, let's take the veil of the law off so we can truly see Jesus. He says, and we... With unveiled face. If he's not talking about a wedding, I don't know what he is talking about. We with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord. Jesus Christ crucified. This is Jesus in his glory. We behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into his likeness from one glorious degree to another. That's what we're doing this morning. So let's stand. We're going to break bread. I'm going to ask you some questions before you come. Some of you are still married to Mr. Law. In your thinking, all you can feel is, I can't please him, so I'm going to go off and please myself. You're a pleasure-seeking hedonist. You follow that recurring pattern of despair and depression sadness and then you medicate yourself with some desire and then you feel useless and you're just cycling round. Jesus says, no, you've died to that. Maybe you're just a faker. You're really a rule keeping. You're saying, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder. But really, you know, you've come to the end of yourself. Jesus says, no, you've died to that earning your own salvation. You've died to trying to be in your own save. You've died to trying to please the law. Maybe you've become a bitter, judgmental finger pointer who says, well, I'm not as bad as him. Look at that person's sin. Look at that spectacular fall from grace. Jesus said, no, you've died to that.
so you can belong to another. I want you to leave those behind you. If you think you're one of those, I want you to leave it behind you. And I want to come robed in righteousness of Jesus. Church doors are going to open. The congregation's going to stand. And you're going to get walked down the aisle. And married to him. The one of love and grace. The one who's so, so good to us. Let's come and give ourselves to him, God, first. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.